A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored in honor of Dr. Yecheskel Vishkovsky by his grandchildren. May he con- may he see continued health and arichas yomim and see much nachas from his entire family. It is sponsored by the law firm Morgan and Morgan. Not all law firms are the same as America's largest injury law firm. Morgan & Morgan fights to get you the best results as quickly as possible. Dial pound L-A-W, law, the pound key, law, on your cell phone. That's pound 529. Um, in fact, this uh, Dr. Yecheskel Vishkovsky that it's dedicated in honor of, he wrote a book, wrote a couple of books, um, all of them, all of which are great. The most recent one that I was reading, it's fantastic, is a memoir. It's the story of his life. And he's a grandson of the Mazitzer Rebbe, Rabbi Shol Yedidya Taub. And Dr. Vishkovsky's book, which is called Perilous Escape, My Journey from Nazi Europe to Freedom. It's a great book. It's an interesting read. I, I, I read it. I loved it. And I even had the privilege of speaking to the author on the phone. May he live and be well. And and part of this episode is from our conversation that we had, and it was fascinating. You know, you're so talking about someone who remembers pre-war Warsaw, which is quite rare, and Otvotsk, you know, going to his grandfather, the Majitsa Rebbe's Tish. And uh, part of it is from the book. Um, he has another book on the Majitsa dynasty also, which is the topic of our uh, episode tonight. And um, so definitely, if you want a, a good read, um, over the holiday season, you should probably uh, get that book, uh, Perilous Escape, Dr. Chatzkel Vishkovsky. Um, it's also appropriate for the holiday season to talk about the most musical Hasidic dynasty in history, and it's appropriate, you know, Yom Neiroim, and, uh, you know, Majitz is renowned for it. Their Rebbes, the ones who led it, were big composers and Chazanim in their leading their flocks on Yamim Neirayim. Many Hasidim were famous Chazanim. They have the one of the greatest um, musical composers in Jewish history, Ben Sion Schenker, was, of course, the symbol of Majitz. The Majitz song had an influence on 
Shlomo Karlbach, which we discussed in the Karlbach episode way back and beyond, way beyond the confines of their own Hasidic dynasty, their musical influence has, has really influenced the entire Jewish world and perhaps beyond. And uh, if, Interestingly, the famous, uh, to a certain extent, the Holocaust theme song, the Ani Mamin, that everyone sings uh, in, in the Holocaust context, was composed by a Majitzer Chassid, who was a Chazan in Warsaw, Azriel David Fastak, and um, he sang it, uh, allegedly, on the train to Treblinka. Part of the story is actually true. Um, some of it is more legend, heavy on the legend side, which is it's not our topic for now. But I want to uh, talk about the Majitz Hasidic dynasty and its story um, over, over time. Um, so we'll start. We go back to the beginning of the dynasty, which is way before it gets to Majitz. We come from they it comes from Rabbi Cheskel Taub. They're all, always Taubs from the beginning till today, of Kuzmir, Kuzmir. Rabbi um, Cheskel Kuzmir was a student of the Chayz of Lublin. He talking about someone who lived at the turn of the. 18th and 19th centuries. He passed away in 1856. So his leadership was in the first half of the 19th century. And he was one of the big builders and leaders of Polish Hasidus in, in, the, in the center of Poland when it moved north from Galicia along with Pshischa and, and Varka and, and all the other ones at that time. So um, Kuzmir, Rebbecheskul of Kuzmir was one of the main early uh, influential Hasidic leaders at that time. The reason he's called Kuzmir is because that's the Yiddish name of the town of Kazimizh Dolny, which is in a bend of the Vistula River south of Warsaw. When the river flows uh, down and uh, there's a, a bend in the river at, in this beautiful, picturesque uh, town, it was actually the Polish capital of the kingdom for a period of time. And and uh, it's it's one of my favorite places to go to when I. When uh, when we go when we go to when we go to Poland, it's gorgeous. It's almost untouched. They still have the old town square and the castle and overlooking the river. And actually, the Hasidim would sometimes come down from Warsaw in the early 1800s. There's no trains yet, so they would sometimes come down by boat uh, down to Kazimierz Dolny. Um, it's a it's an old town has an important place in Jewish history in Poland and. In general, there's all kinds of legends attached to the place and the relationship of the Jews of Poland to the early kings of Poland, which is also a great story. Perhaps uh, we'll get to it at another time. But um, but uh, he, he you know, built up his Hasidus and his influence in Polish Jewry. And he passes away in Kazimierz Dolny, and he's buried there, and he's buried in the old Jewish cemetery. In fact, when we go to Kuzmir, these days, so unfortunately, the old Jewish cemetery is today a soccer field and in, uh, in, in, attached to one of the local schools, and it's uh, it's very sad. It's very tragic. It's actually a very powerful visit because you're going to one of the greatest leaders in the history of the Hasidic movement, and his gravesite is there's nothing there. There's just only a couple of years ago they put a plaque outside saying that this used to be a Jewish cemetery, but um. I'm proud to play an even minor part. Right now, the Majitz Hasidim, and there's all kinds of organizations involved in trying to get rid of the soccer field and build a fence around it and restore it to its proper uh, 
um, respect and build an oil over his kever and, you know, the whole area of the Jewish cemetery. It's not just him. Um, so anytime a group goes there and we try to get photographed and we try to get make sure people notice us, so I've brought a few groups there, so hopefully that will have at least a little bit of an influence and hopefully one day we'll get the cemetery back. I just want to tell you one story of Rabbi Cheskel of Kuzmir to give you an idea of what type of dynasty he's founding. Um, there was once a chassid of, of, uh, of Rabbi Cheskel of Kuzmir who was a businessman and he had a, a market day. Um, Sunday or Monday, it was, it was over a weekend, and he planned on going there to do some business. And he decided, and the, the town that this market day was, was past Kuzmir. So he had to travel through Kuzmir anyway, and it was right after the weekend. So he decided, you know what, on the way I'll go Shabbos to the Rebbe. So he goes Shabbos to the Rebbe, but then he had a, he had a, he had a problem. He didn't know what to do. Because every chassid knows that when you take leave of the Rebbe, you have to gezegenzach. You have to take an official leave of the Rebbe um, after you've been there for a visit. And he wasn't sure what to do because he had to be on time Sunday morning for the market day. And the Rebbe sometimes didn't come out right away, might say Shabbos, and after, after Shabbos was over. Sometimes it could take a long time. And he needed to travel to the next town to get there in time for the market. So he wasn't sure. How can he go and not gezegenzach from the Rebbe? How could he not take leave? On the other hand, how could he go and risk uh, uh, not, going, not, not being on time for his uh, business? So what's he going to do? So he decided, you know what, I'll go for Shabbos. How can I not go for Shabbos if I'm anyways going to be on the way? And if the Rebbe comes out on time Saturday night, then I'll take leave, an official, proper, respectful leave from him. And if not, then I'll just leave without saying goodbye. So he comes Friday afternoon, he settles down for Shabbos. Friday night, he goes over to say good Shabbos to the Rebbe, joining the long line of Hasidim who are there. And when it gets to his turn, Rebbe Cheskel of Kuzmir says to him, what are you doing here? Why did you come for Shabbos? No one needs you here. You, you can leave. No one, no one needs you here. So he understood that the Rebbe, with his, his uh, great insight and his spiritual insight, his Ruach HaKodesh, he was able to understand his, uh, his doubts about going. And so he said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I'm not going to the market day and I'm not going to do any business on Sunday. So the Rebbe said, okay, you're more than welcome for Shabbos. And might say, Shabbos, he comes and takes leave of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says, go do your business tomorrow morning. You need to make a living. Go do your business. Don't worry about it. He said, I was trying to teach you a lesson, because when Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, come to Har Sinai, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Alei Eli hahara sham. Come up to the mountain, sham, and be there. He says, why does it say, add the two words, the Hayesham, to be there? He said, come up to the mountain. What do I need to add another two words? So Rechezkel of Kuzmir said, because you have to be there. You can't be somewhere else. If you're enjoying the moment, if you're somewhere, if you're going through an experience, then be completely there. Be completely absorbed in it. Take it all in. Don't be somewhere else. Don't be thinking, where do I have to be next? And where do I have to go? And what's my next stop? Because then you're not there. You have, in order for you to gain, in order for you to grow, in order for you to really experience and, and be able to uh, utilize uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you're going through, you have to be there. So that's what I was trying to teach you. So Reb Cheskel of Kuzmir passes on, and his son, Reb Shmuel Eliyahu Taub, 
he moves to the nearby town of Zvolen, and he was very. He becomes the rebbe there. He's very close with his father. He only had a small group of Hasidim. It's a very small court. He was a very modest and quiet person. At one point, he even stopped singing, and already it's a trademark of the this uh, Hasidic dynasty singing, um, even though it was further developed in the next generation. But um, but he was nervous that since it could also bring one to the wrong places, the same way it could bring one to the holiest places, it could bring one to the wrong places. So at one point, he stopped singing because he was nervous about that concern. Uh, there was another son of, of Rabbi Cheskov Kuzmir, another grandson, actually, of Rabbi Cheskov Kuzmir, who started the Ablona Hasidic dynasty, and his son became, who is now the famous, um, uh, now, now, in the last couple of years, he was popularized, I think, Penny Dunner and other people have written and spoke about him, so he became uh, he became much more popular than he used to be. Um, the Ablona Rebbe, who later on was one of the founders of Kfar Hasidim, but that's the story of Ablona, and and but that comes from this dynasty. That's what I wanted to point out. Either way, um, Reb Shmuel Elio of Zvolen, he has a one of his sons. Zvolen, as the dynasty continues um, with other children, but one of his sons is Rabbi Yisrael town. And Rabbi Yisrael town moves to another nearby town uh, called, what the Jews called Mudges. Now, a lot of towns in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine, and Lithuania, and Poland, and other countries, they have a Yiddish name, what the Jews refer to it as, and they also have a Polish or Russian or whatever name as well. Very often they're similar. You know, we have, you know, Tsans is Novisats, and... and uh, some of them are less uh, Varsha, Varshava is Varsha. Um, in English, of course, it's Warsaw. And, and, um, and very often they're, they're very, very similar. Sometimes they're a little less similar. You have Zhezhov is Raisha. This one I can't figure out. The Polish name of the town is Deblin. And the Yiddish name of the town is Mujitz. Uh, go figure how that, you know, one came out of the other. I'm sure there's a good reason. I just haven't had a chance to look into it. Um, but either way, it's also on the Vistula River. Um, if you go, you're talking about in the heart of Polish Hasidus. If you take the Vistula down from Warsaw, it goes through Otvotsk, which is going to be a future home of the Mujitz dynasty. It passes near Kozhnitz, Piatsetsna, Ger, Vorka, a bit further away, not on the river, is Kutsk. Um, and then you have Kazimish Dolny, which I mentioned. Kuzmir is right on the river. Zvolen, which is a little further out. These are all previous homes of the dynasty. And now Majitz, which is actually on the water. So this, this whole area of the, uh, of the flows of the Vistula is the heart of Polish Hasidus. It's right in the middle of everything. And and uh, and he he's there in Majitz for not that very long. He's there for a few years, and during World War One, he already runs to nearby Radom, a larger town, and then he moves on to Warsaw, where we reestablishes his court in the city, in the which is at a time that happens during World War One, and he passes away in 1920 in Warsaw, and in the big Jewish cemetery in Warsaw, we have the Majitz Rebbe Bistrol of Majitz's Kever. We go to his. Uh, Kever very often when we're in Warsaw. In 1913, before World War One, he had bad diabetes and he needed a surgery in Berlin, in Germany. And uh, it was a Jewish surgeon, Dr. Israel. And he 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 uh, did not use, uh, the, uh, the Majestic Rebbe requested that they not use anesthesia. And he he's the one who made Nigun, Nagina, 
singing, music as the primary, he fully developed it in, its, in, in, the, in the spiritual sense, as the Avaida, as the pathway in Avaida Sashem of Majitz. He codified the Majitz legacy as Nigan, as a derech, as approach to Judaism and Yiddishkeit and in, in Hasidic thought. Um, so he's in this surgery and he, he sings, a, he composes actually, is one of his most famous compositions, even though no one's able to sing it, <laughs> but it's a famous composition. It has 32 parts. He composes it during the surgery because he was looking out of his hospital room and he sees Berlin as a big, beautiful, glorious city. And again, we're now in the period of time where we recite the slichas. And this is quite a famous one of the slichas that we we say. And he was inspired by it. He's, as kim kol ir, altila benuya mushpeles ad sha'el When he looks around and he sees the great cities of the world that are built and they're glorious and they're beautiful, where the city of God uh, the city of Yerushalayim is mushpelas, is disgraced. There's no Beis HaMikdash. The temple has not been rebuilt. We're still in exile. So he's saying this, this long, amazingly complicated composition, and he didn't feel any pain during the surgery. He composed another famous song about the homeless during World War I when he was on the road from Radom to Warsaw, from first from Majitz to Radom and then Radom to Warsaw, and he saw so many Jews that were homeless. So he composed a song about the wandering Jew. And he would daven, uh, he would lead the congregation, his chassidim, in, in, in the, in the davening for all of the Yom Amdurayim, all of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, he would lead the davening. And he succeeded by his son, Reb Shol Yedid Yatau, who's one of the most famous leaders of the Majid's dynasty, um, who had a very, very hard life, and yet he was, such an incredible leader. He first married the daughter of the Lublin Rebbe, Hasidic dynasty of the Agers, right? The original one was Reblabel Ager, and his descendants continue the Ager Lublin Hasidic dynasty, which came from Ishbitz. We discussed it in the Ishbitz episode. And so he, Reb Shalyudidya marries them, but he gets divorced. The marriage didn't work out. And the children originally remained with the mother. It wasn't the smoothest of divorces. And he he got married again, and his next wife passed away quite young. He got married a third time, and his third wife passed away quite young. He eventually married a fourth time, a very hard life. He was a rabbi in Kurchev, and there was a big fire that broke out in the town. It literally destroyed the town. And at that point, he moves to Utvatsk, which is a suburb of Warsaw, south of Warsaw, southeast of Warsaw, where he remained until the war. Um, he had a yeshiva. Um, where, where uh, was a prestigious Hasidic yeshiva. He became very popular, very beloved for his songs, also, excuse me, and his uh, his davening, especially now, this time of year, Yamim Neiraim time. He was very involved in the Agudas Yisrael. He was on the Mayetzas Gedele Hatayra of Agudas Yisrael. He also very much promoted Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. He encouraged many of his Hasidim to move uh, to Eretz Yisrael. He visited himself three times pre-war and once post-war, which wasn't a visit. He eventually settled there and he passed away several months later. We'll get to that. In the beginning of the war, he escaped to Vilna from Otvask. And, and from Vilna, he went through Japan and got to the United States. Um, and he was one of the first to get out. Uh, in fact, he um, 
he um, he made a he he went to the NKVD offices to request an exit visa from which was you know Lithuania was already under the Soviet Union, and he and he came you know dressed very regally as as you know in his Shabbos finery, and he said to the NKVD agents and he impressed them because some of them were actually Jews they knew what a Hasidic Rebbe was, and he said I will. I will give you good, good press, good, uh, good media coverage in America when I get there. Um, and and he, when he arrived in San Francisco, before he even crossed, traversed the country and arrived in New York, in San Francisco, he had a press conference. He invited the media because he was one of the first people, especially a prominent individual, to have gotten out of the Soviet Union at the beginning of the war. And he said, you don't understand, it's a Soviet paradise. And Stalin is such a great leader. And socialism is fantastic, and everyone's equal, and the economy is unbelievable. And people thought that he had lost his mind. He didn't lose his mind. He was filling his part of the deal. And because of that, the NKVD, it's speculated, and it's very likely that the NKVD supplied exit visas to the Miri Shiva, too many other refugees at that time, because of the Majid Sarebra, and really that whole great escape to uh, Shanghai was only possible, likely because of the Majid Sarebra and his brilliant uh, maneuver about just giving a little good media coverage to, to Soviet Russia, and it's able to save thousands of Jews. In any event, he... Um, uh, he, he uh, in the beginning of the war, he was... Uh, in Atvask, and he was confused about what he should tell his Hasidim to leave, to go, where they should go, what should they do, and he was, um, he was, you know, he, he was, he wasn't sure what to do, and it was at that point that he composed one of his most famous songs, Proik Yas Anach, from the Kariboin that we sing Friday night, and the Proik Yas Anach, which is redeem the Jewish people from their pain and suffering, and take care of them, they're your you're the shepherd and we're the sheep, and a very haunting, a very beautiful song, and he taught it to his Hasidim at the time, and he taught it to the Jews in Vilna that he met, who were not Hasidim at the time, and it was an inspiration, almost almost became the theme song uh, during that very troublesome year and a half at the beginning of the war when when no one was sure where to go and what to do and where to run. Um, he passed away on a very prominent date, November 29, 1947, the day of the UN vote, on the partition plan, and he had a big levaya on Harazesim. They, you know, he lived in Tel Aviv when he arrived in in Israel. Um, but the Chazoyin, the Chazoyin Ish, was asked whether they should bury him on Harazesim or in Tel Aviv, and the Chazoyin Ish said, "Go ahead, bury him in Harazesim." And it's very likely that he was one of the last, especially the last big uh, levaya on Harazesim. He composed over a thousand songs. Uh, you know, a few of them are so long and complicated that they have been dubbed operas even, Benzian Shanker, who became the uh, composer and musician of the Majid's uh, legacy and tradition. He said that one of them, he was only successful at singing once in his life. Um, a lot of his children, a lot of the Majid Sarebbe's children and their families were wiped out in the Holocaust. Uh, a bunch of other ones survived and was able to get out with him, able to bring them out. The Hasidus was completely decimated in the Holocaust, with most ending up in the gas chambers of Treblinka. Among them, like I said, Israel David Fastag of the Animam in fame. Um, now, it's like all Polish Hasidic groups. It's a very, 
you know, they, they wear the Sparek in Majitz, they're very Polish. Um, but all those Hasidic uh, groups were wiped out. They had to build up everything from scratch after the war. Um, the, the, there were several thousand Hasidim that he had in Poland before the war. It would, there were several thousand Hasidim who would attend Atvaks, who would come to Atvaks for Rosh and Yom Kippur. It was a huge base medrash there. And in Warsaw, there was several Majid Shtiblach. It was four to five, four or five Shtiblach, uh, of Majids in Warsaw and then, and then throughout the country and other places. And there was the Friday train to Atvask, uh, you know, the, the train to Atvask was the same train that went to Ger, south to Piazza and Ger, which we discussed in the, uh, episode we had about going to the Rebbe for Rosh Hashanah last year. The Kulaika, the train, that would go to Ger, so it would stop first in Atfas. And it was this train was full of Hasidim. And, and, and the ones who would get off at Atfas were going more to, to the Majits than any of the other Rebbes there, even though the Labavitcher Rebbe was there and the Mamshan of a Rebbe. But Rabbi Shol Yadidya was a very popular. And, um, and the, the, his songs were popular. He had a powerful voice. Yassel Rosenblatt, the great Chazan, came to visit the Majits Rebbe to hear his Nagina, to hear his singing. The Rebbe did not have a radio, and he never visited the Polish army bases, but yet he composed marches that were very similar to the Polish army marches. And he didn't know how to read music notes. But when he escaped to Vilna at the beginning of the war, he was nervous that with the chaos of the war, he would forget, or perhaps he wouldn't even survive. So in Vilna, he found someone who could write music notes, and he hired that person, he paid him, and they locked themselves up in the room with this fellow for several weeks, and he had them write down. He would sit, he would pace the room and literally sing him hundreds of songs, and he would write down the notes to the, those songs. And there, those handwritten notes exist today. They're in the hand, they're in the in the hands of his descendants, and have been seen Shanker and the Shanker family, and uh, who helped write them down and write them down further. Um, and, uh, and those nigunim were, you know, written down to be preserved for posterity. He had a real presence, a very regal presence, a very impressionable person. The Majitsa Rebbe was able to get a visa out of Vilna, out of, uh, out of the Soviet Union through his brother. He had a brother who was a rabbi in the Bronx. He also got visas to Israel because his son, who I'm going to get to, uh, lived in, in, uh, Tel Aviv, in, uh, before the, from before the war. Um, so, um, you know, so, some of his children got out through his visas, so others got Sugihara visas, and then exit visas, and then they get to, uh, so the Bajas Rebbe lives in, leaves in, in, in August of 1940, um, but some of his, his, his kids only got out later, the beginning of 1941. Um, and, uh, but, but some of them did get out. Now, while he, during his time in Vilna, he was very close with Reb Chaim Oizer. Uh, Grodzinski. Chaim Weiser arranged accommodations for the, for the, uh, Majid Sarebbe. He, the mail that would reach the Majid Sarebbe arrived at Chaim Weiser's address and he would forward them to the Rebbe. And in fact, Chaim Weiser was sick and, and on his way to his, his, uh, passing during that time. And in fact, Chaim Weiser passed away just days before the Majid Sarebbe left, uh, um, Lithuania and he was able to attend the funeral of, of Reb Chaim Meiser. This grandson who I spoke to, he, he remembers Reb Chaim Meiser, remembers his grandfather visiting Reb Chaim Meiser, and he remembers the Levaya, the pack streets of, of Vilna during Reb Chaim Meiser's uh, Levaya. Um, 
Now, when during the time that the Rebbe was in Vilna, so he's away from his Hasidim, and he's surrounded by a bunch of uh, Litvaks, and the Rebbe becomes immensely popular, and he had Tish in Vilna, and these Misnagdim, these Litvaks, would come to his Tish, and they loved it. They fell in love with the Lubavitcher Rebbe and his songs. He was able to reach them and influence them, and even he even made one, believe it or not, Vilna, all right, you know, it's Vilna, it's a cosmopolitan city. He even for a period of time was in Kovna, which... You know, you pretty much can't get more litvish than that. And he, when he made a tish there, there was hundreds who who, who attended. Um, Pesach, he would not allow anyone to attend because Pesach was devoted to family. So he he has a um, he he like I said passes on, um, and his uh, his son uh, takes over now. There's a split eventually in the dynasty, um, and this subsequent split is, be- is the result of his divorce. Uh, his son, Reb Shmuel Eliyahu, uh, the Imre Eish of Majitz, who's in Tel Aviv, he's from the first marriage, and eventually a grandson, Rabbi Yisrael David Taub, who eventually in the late 1960s, early 1970s, he establishes an American branch of the Majitz Hasidus in Flatbush that is from his second marriage. So the Imre Eish, Reb Shmuel Eliyahu, he... Uh, settled in Tel Aviv. He was close with his father. He accompanied him on his 1935 visit to Eretz Yisrael. And the story goes that he was in Maron with his father on Lag Ba'aymer, and he was inspired to stay and live in Israel because of his visit to Maron Lag Ba'aymer. So if you want to be inspired to move to Israel, come for Maron Lag Ba'aymer, I guess. And he settles in Tel Aviv, like all the Rebbes did at that time. And he becomes the Rebbe uh, succeeding his father in 1947. He had a Big base medrash on Rechov Dizengoff, Dizengoff Street, the center of Tel Aviv, and he had a very influence on a very diverse group. Uh, he had a yeshiva at the end of his life in Bnei Brak. He was also on the Mayatzis of the Agudas Yisrael, and he was actually very positive about the state of Israel. He called its founding the Aschalta de Geula, which in Agudas Yisrael circles was not not that common to be expressed. And he passes away in 1984. And um, he's also a composer of songs, you know, like like you would expect of the Majid's dynasty. And he was rep- succeeded by his son, Rabbi Stroll Dun Taub, who was born in Warsaw and became, and then eventually grew up in Tel Aviv. So the two centers of the Jewish world, Warsaw to Tel Aviv. But he studies at the Heichel HaTalmud Yeshiva in Tel Aviv, which is actually a branch of Slabatka. So you have this Polish uh, scion of a, Ch- a Hasidic dynasty studying in a very Lithuanian-style yeshiva in Tel Aviv. Um, he actually was visiting his family. Him and his mother were visiting his family in Warsaw when the war broke out, and he barely made it back uh, to Israel. Back to Israel. So he also studied in a Chabad yeshiva in Tel Aviv. And in 1995, he's one of the last big rebbes to leave Tel Aviv for Bnei Brak, but he did keep his base medrash on Dizengoff going until uh, you know until he passed away in 2006. In which he was succeeded by actually two of his sons. One became the Majitz Rebbe, and one became the Kuzmir, reviving the old name of the uh, Hasidus. The Yisrael Yisrael Duntab did another interesting thing. He started an official research sort of institute to work on the preservation of the Majitz Nigunim, the Majitz songs, which is fascinating that a Rebbe would initiate a project like that and says a lot about the centrality of music in the Majitz uh, Majid's world. In the meantime, another branch, like I said, had opened up in the United States. His 
a grandson of Rabbi Shol Yadid Yataub from his second marriage, Rabbi Yisrael David. He became a rabbi in, in Flatbush in the 1960s, 70s. And, um, and of course, Ben and Shanker was there, and, and that's what made it very influential. And eventually that caused him to have to split off. He was being a little too influential in that shtibel. So there became two Majid's shtibels in Flatbush um, in, uh, at the time. So that's a little bit about Majitz and the dynasty and its legacy of music. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, lectures, virtual tours, virtual lectures, anything of the sort. And you can subscribe to our uh, podcast on Podbean or any of your favorite um, podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.